When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you ever find yourself reminiscing about the past and remembering something you would love to go back and change? A mistake that haunts you on a regular basis? Well, that is what this 80s flick is all about. A man who for 13 years has regretted dropping the ball in a high school football game and holds himself responsible for the town he lives in being in the doldrums ever since. So fire up the green rocket, put on your white cleats, and get ready to bring the town of Taft out of the bowels of lethargy as J.B. Huffman and I discuss the best of times from 1986 on this special Forgotten 80s Flick episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Robin Williams. I'm mostly naked here. That is gross, Dad. Kurt Russell. Zach, you can't play that game again. The best of times. You're going to replay what game? For Jack Dundee, nothing was more important than the game. If you play that game again, we're not sleeping in this prison. Nothing. <laughs> Let's play some football. The best of times. Rated PG-13. Now it's Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s Flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. All right, well, welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you on this uh, very special bonus episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. As you uh, may or may not know, I started a series on TikTok that then rolled over into Instagram about forgotten 80s flicks. And so this is one of the movies that was uh, featured in that called The Best of Times from 1986. And uh, so we're doing a couple of bonus episodes to kind of uh, talk a little bit about them. 
And uh, so that's what we're talking about today. So first of all, let me bring in my guest who requested to do this movie because I think he's just recently seen it for the first time, which we'll talk about. But please welcome Mr. J.B. Huffman from Manly Movies Podcast. How you doing, J.B.? I'm doing great. I'm ready to snatch victory and, and act as an enema for, for the soul of this town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Robin Williams says a lot of stuff that's like, it sounds like it makes sense, but the more you listen to it, like he's really just throwing out a bunch of words that really are a bunch of nonsense, uh, which is which is one of the, my favorite little running gags in the movie is he feels like he could just just keep talking and eventually you just kind of wear everybody down. So, but uh, yeah, he did a lot of improv back in the day, and I of just course. wonder how much of that was improv. Yeah, I was think I had the same thought. I was like, because, and we'll get into the writer of this movie is a great writer, and I was like, was okay. that was that scripted or was that him? riffing off the script or him just going off script but yeah but we'll we'll definitely talk a little bit about that but before we get too far into it tell us a little bit about manly movies and what you got going on with the podcast these days manly movies we just released a football episode a couple a few weeks ago uh remember the titans oh yeah and, the best yes exactly and then last week i released an 80s episode on a full metal jacket so okay um yeah I, we've got several several episodes in the pipeline coming up yeah we, we've got a lot of a lot of great guests there's one with tim that i still haven't released yet um <laughs> he's holding it in the archives i'm holding it in the archives with halloween coming up we might have one or two scary movies coming up we'll see oh yeah we'll see how that works yeah i got a few of those okay last of the, last of the mohicans that was the one i was thinking of that's okay gonna be, gonna be coming, coming out next gotcha yeah so. Yeah, that's one I haven't seen in a long time. I remember seeing it, but I haven't watched it in a while. So I have to go back and rewatch that one before I listen to the episode. So, but you also have another podcast about college football. Do you want to talk about that one at all? Yeah, man. Um, we actually just came, started season five. Well, I guess at the beginning of this football season, episode five of that should come out tomorrow or Wednesday, but it's just me and a couple of guys. And we usually have a guest every other week or so mm-hmm. to come on. And we just talk about the sec sports and, you know, right now it's all about football. Right. This is our, this is our busy time. It's all about college football. <laughs> right. You know, right. After football, football season's over. We don't, we don't record every week after that. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like whenever something like March madness and, college world series we'll have a few episodes here and there but right we just we're just sitting there talking about we 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 pick the games and we discuss like what's going on in college football the current events and stuff and just give our hot takes you know because we're experts on it (laughs) (laughs) right we're the ones we're the ones with the microphone in front of us we must be the experts right exactly you're exactly (laughs) right so what's the name of that podcast that is called sec tavern talk gotcha gotcha Awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about the best of times, Kurt Russell, Robin Williams. But for those of you who have never seen it, maybe you're just you know, tuning in to see what this is all about. Let me give you a quick synopsis, which I only do for the bonus episodes, about what the movie's about, and then we'll jump right in. Jack Dundee, played by Robin Williams, is a meek banker living in Taft, California, who was mentally and emotionally tormented by the 1972 high school football game between Taft and a, their powerhouse rival school, Bakersfield. During that game, Dundee dropped a perfect pass from quarterback and friend Reno Hightower, played by Kurt Russell, that caused him to lose the game. He now wants to replay the game with the same players who are now adults and mostly out of shape, 
but has trouble convincing Reno and the townspeople to put their trust and the reputation of their small town back in his unstable hands. I think that sums up the movie pretty well. If you haven't seen it, I think that's a good teaser for you. Yeah, that's, that's a good that's a good summary. <laughs> All right, so JB, when did you see Best of Times for the very first time? Well, luckily, I record everything on Letterboxd, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, July 22nd of this year was the okay. first time I watched it. So had you heard of it before then or something you kind of stumbled upon? Do you remember? Uh, I just stumbled upon it. I, um, I think there was another movie that I was watching on, um, I think it was Tubi TV or something. Right, right. And I just saw that pop up there. I was like, I've never even heard of that. And mm-hmm. it's like it's Robin Williams, like one of my favorite actors of all times. And then, right. and then, you know, Kurt Russell, who's like, you know, the man of the eighties basically. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Oh man, it's a football movie too. This is, I've got to watch this. So I was like instantly, yeah. mm-hmm. so it was, I really, really enjoyed it the first time. And I got to, I rewatched it again uh, the, the other night just to kind of refresh, refresh. my memory. Yeah. And even yeah. though I just watched it like a month and a half ago. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. This is one that I'm pretty sure I saw in the theater. This was, this came out. I remember seeing the poster in a theater and this is, I think, when we were living in Texas, we lived in Texas for like six months. So when we lived in Texas, I was like fifth and sixth grade before going to middle school, I think is what it was. So, um, but I remember seeing the poster in the movie theater. And this wasn't, this is like back in the day when you had dollar theaters where it was like a $2 theater where the first run movies or, you know, the lesser ones that had been out for a while, they would play there and you go see them a lot cheaper. And so we saw a couple of movies at that theater. I think that's where I saw this one. So it had already kind of, had its run in the main theater. We kind of saw it later, but, uh, but I loved it from the beginning, the opening monologue with Robin Williams kind of giving the history of the town and, you know, and then showing him dropping the ball and like, I am the guy that dropped the ball. You know, I was hooked at that point. I was like, oh, I'm in, this is, this is going to be so much fun. And so, uh, so yeah, so I, I really enjoyed, I enjoyed it then. And then I must've recorded it off of TV a couple of years later and had to have watched it you know, a hundred times after that, because I can remember going back and watching it. Now I remember the parts where they had changed the language for TV and some of the other words that were used there and some, some stuff like that. But, uh, so I would ask you when was the last time you saw it before we were watching the podcast, but you've already done that. So, but for me, I haven't watched this every year, but I've seen it pop up. Like I, I've like you, I watched it on Tubi, uh, when for, to watch it for this. But I think it was on Vudu, like one of the free with ads on Vudu a couple of years ago. So I've, I've probably seen it. I've seen it in the last probably three years for sure, maybe four years before that. It'd probably been like 10, 10 years or so since I'd seen it. I used to have it on VHS, but I've never, I didn't get a DVD. I don't even know if it's even available on DVD or Blu-ray at this point. It's not that high in demand, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. So for you as a first time watch, this isn't something you saw as a kid. What were your initial thoughts of it? Did it scream eighties? Does it, does it hold up pretty well? <laughs> you could say it screamed eighties, but you could watch it and think that it's kind of silly, but it's got a ton of heart that like, mm-hmm. that was my first, that was yeah. my first instinct when I watched it. I was like, okay, this is kind of silly eighties, but, but there's a lot going on here with, uh, with these characters. Mm-hmm. And just like, it's kind of an existential crisis yeah. that he's having. Yeah. yeah. And it, like, I can, I can relate to stuff like that. I mean, so, 
and then wanting to just kind of get back with his with his friends and and relive that moment and try to do it all over again to see how mm -hmm. how his life is different um i just thought that was cool that just and then robin williams man i mean yeah yeah i grew up i grew up on uh aladdin and mrs doubtfire like mm -hmm. <laughs> so i'm just yeah a huge huge robin williams fan now actually me and my brothers are Mrs. Doubtfire is like, we could literally, and, and I think at one point, my brother and I, we texted back and forth, like at least like the first 10 or 20 minutes of Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> quoting it, the entire thing. Right, right. Yeah, that's fun. Good stuff. Yeah. And it's funny because like, yeah, like Robin Williams didn't have the best 80s in the sense of movies. Like he really didn't hit his movie stride until like the very end of the 80s. 90s was really when he became the he became the man like because it's funny like think this is the first robin williams movie i've done for the podcast it's probably one of my favorites even though he had done several before this and we'll talk a little about that in his when we get to talking about him but uh but yeah it's still a lot of fun and of course kurt russell we're dropping ahead but who cares uh but kurt russell like i've said this on other podcasts as we've done the thing which he was in we've done big trouble in little china so let's talk about those three movies for a second from the thing, which is a straight up sci-fi horror mm -hmm. action, not really action, but more sci-fi horror movie drama, very dramatic role, to Big Trouble in Little China, where he's completely goofy, you know, still kind of a those are both John Carpenter movies too, but you know, silly but still, you know, more action, kind of trying to be like mm -hmm. the action hero kind of thing. And then this, where he's kind of the everyman you know, Hey, I was the guy in high school. Now I'm a van specialist. You know, I'm just, just trying to find my niche in life and, 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 and do life as best I can for him to kind of nail all three of those roles just shows mm -hmm. what a great actor that he is. And so, yeah, I think, I, I think Kurt Russell was probably one of the most underrated actors of all time, but definitely in the eighties because of the range of characters he played specifically in that decade. So we talked about Tombstone on your podcast, so he'll always be wired up to us. And Tango and Cash too. And Tango and Cash. Oh my gosh, we're we're in a we're in a trifecta. Well, you haven't released Tango and Cash yet, so they don't know. I'll that. go ahead. I'll go ahead and give a little <laughs> teaser. I plan on releasing that at the end of December because that's okay. when it came out. Gotcha, it came out gotcha. in December of, of, of 1989, so I was going to kind of do like an anniversary thing for it. So gotcha. Okay. Just, just to there tease you it up, you right heard after it after Christmas, Peter. right? You heard it here first, folks, on, <laughs> on the '80s fix flashback with that. The, so get ready for the uh, the end of the year surprise, Tango and Cash. But yeah, but so we're <laughs> we're kind of a Kurt Russell uh, trifecta here, as we've mm -hmm. we've talked about three of his movies. So, and now these messages. Now playing on a cell phone near you, a show for all the manly men out there, where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man, featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> and a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. 
Hello, 80s flick lovers. I just want to take a few minutes and say thanks again for listening to the 80s flick flashback podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed all of our episodes so far. If you have, I want to remind you of a few ways you can show your support. The easiest way is to follow us on social media. Search for us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. It's a great way to learn about upcoming shows, and you can also interact with some other great 80s flick lovers too. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcasting platform you can find us on. You can also share your favorite episodes with other 80s flick-loving friends, family, and coworkers. Share the love. I also want to encourage you to become a financial supporter of the podcast. We will always offer free episodes and will never put any of our past seasons behind a paywall. But it does cost money to keep the podcast running. From the very beginning stages of the podcast, I've personally paid monthly for the website, the Zoom account, various movie rentals and streaming subscriptions, marketing tools, and other miscellaneous expenses that pop up from time to time. If you love the show, then please consider being one of our first podcast supporters through Anchor. There are three tiers of support, $0.99, $4.99, or $9.99 per month. You can find the link to become a supporter in our show notes. If you want to do something special for my birthday in November or just for the holidays, you can find my Amazon wish list on our Linktree link in the show notes as well. I've compiled a list of Blu-rays and DVDs that I want to add to my collection as I move away from digital content and back to physical copies. There are movies priced from $5 to $40 on the list, so feel free to purchase one or more. <laughs> if you love 80s pop music and movie soundtracks as much as I do, you can also find the 80s flick flashback movie songs mix playlist on Apple Music. It's full of hit songs like Footloose, Ghostbusters, and Purple Rain, as well as deeper cuts from the 80s flicks like Catch Me Now, I'm Falling from Hiding Out, Rhythm of the Night from The Last Dragon, and Babysitting Blues from Adventures in Babysitting. This would have been my ultimate movie soundtrack mixtape growing up if I could have found a cassette to hold seven hours worth of songs. Thanks again for listening. I really do appreciate every one of you, and I'm amazed each week to watch the number of new listeners grow. It's because of you and your support that the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast is still going strong. Let's keep the fun going. Hey everybody, do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about the days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult? The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams, and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life For You. And here at Retro Life For You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro. And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher. We're hosted on Anchor FM, and make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. Uh, I would talk about story origin and pre-production, but there really wasn't much to find. But one thing I can say is that this was the first sports film written by Ron Shelton. If you don't know who Mm -hmm. Ron Shelton is, he is a writer and director known for Bull Durham, which we covered on the podcast from 1988, White Men Can't Jump in 1992, and Hollywood Homicide in 2003. He's done other movies as well. Those are probably the ones that most people would be 
the most familiar with. I can see, especially because I'm, I'm, I've seen Bull Durham more recently, I can see some of his like DNA or his his writing style in both of these movies. The, the narration at the beginning, voiceover kind of stuff. And then, like you said, a lot of heart where it's, yes, it's a football movie, but there's so much other things going on with the characters that pull you in and get you invested. The overarching theme is, hey, we want to replay this football game. But it means something different to all the characters. You know, mm-hmm. for jackets, I dropped the ball. And because of that, I feel like my life is not what it could have been if I had I had I caught the ball. Whereas mm-hmm. Kurt Russell's character, Reno Hightower, is the exact opposite. Look, look, that those were the best days that I had. People still tell the stories and the stories. He's like, I get better with age. Do I want to go back and make a fool of myself now and lose that glory that I had in the past? And then, mm-hmm. you know, the people in the town have their own little thing. So I love that dichotomy of reasons for playing the game again but then finding the unity of them you know coming together and and making that happen yeah for sure uh, and that that is a staple of ron shelton film and you know one of my favorites is white men can't jump yeah oh yeah yeah and dude talk about some serious stuff going on like mm-hmm. that movie yeah, it's like it's very, very much character driven. It's it's not about basketball at all. No, <laughs> like, no, yeah. Just like and all the great sports movies are about mm-hmm. something else. Like like right. like Rocky is a love story, man. It's not about True. boxing. Come True. on. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, even rem- remember the Titans. Yeah, it's a football movie, but there's so much of the sub subtext that it's really the the message is trying to get out there as well. So. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so uh, so that was directed by Roger Spottiswood. I'm probably saying his wrong name wrong. In the 60s, Roger entered the British film industry as a trainee editor where he apprenticed under editor John Bloom. He said that he wanted to direct and his friend Walter Hill advised him the best way to was to write his own script. So he and Spottiswood collaborated on the scripts for 48 hours, which became a huge hit. And the never-made movie, The Last Gun, whatever that is or what it could have been. But he turned directing in the early 80s and directed a number of notable films and television productions, including Shoot to Kill in 98, which is one of my another forgotten 80s flick that I'm a big fan of. Turner and Hooch from 89, yes. Tom Hanks. And the 1997 oh, yeah. James Bond film, Tomorrow Never Dies with Pierce Brosnan. So uh, a little bit of range for him, too, yep. from comedy. Well, you know, 40 Hours, action comedy. This is a comedy uh, Shoot to Kill was definitely a thriller in James Bond. So he had a he had a good career. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's jump in and talk about casting. I mean, that's what we mainly have here to talk about. <laughs> but we'll talk, <laughs> start with Robin Williams as Jack Dundee. Uh, give you a little history about him. Robin briefly studied political science at Claremont Men's College and theater at College of Marin before enrolling at the Juilliard School to focus on theater. After leaving Juilliard, he performed in nightclubs where he was where he was discovered for the role of Mork from Ork on an episode of Happy Days. <laughs> the episode called My Favorite Orkin in 1978 led to his famous spinoff weekly TV series, Mork and Mindy, which I watched on reruns as a kid over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. He made his feature starring debut playing the title role of Popeye in 1980 directed by Robert Altman. That's a movie that another kind of forgotten 80s movie that I remember seeing in the theater. Uh, Williams' continuous comedies and wild comic talents involved a great deal of improvisation following in the footsteps of his idol, Jonathan Winters, who eventually joined him on Mork and Mindy. Williams also proved to be an effective dramatic actor, receiving Academy Award nominations for Best Actor in a Leading Role in Good Morning Vietnam in 87, Dead Poets mm-hmm. Society in 89, and The Fisher King in 91, before winning the award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role 
with Goodwill Hunting in 1997. Of course, sadly, on uh, in 2014, he was found dead at his home, the victim of apparent suicide uh, after he discovered that he had a brain tumor. So it took me a while after he passed away to watch any of his movies. And you talked about mm-hmm. Mrs. Doubtfire, like for sure. Like, I think that came on TV like a month or two after he passed away. My wife and I were like, I want to watch this movie, but it's sad to watch the movie knowing that he had it passed is. away. So it's uh, it, it's gotten a little easier now. It's you know, some time has gone by, but that was a tough one when I heard about him passing. That was a that was one of those celebrity deaths that really kind of hit me hit me pretty hard. You wanna you wanna have a good cry, man? You need to read his biography. <laughs> like, ooh, ooh, yeah, ooh, I'm man. Sure. I, I read I read that last year, and it was. Yeah. I think it was last year. It's called Robin. Mm-hmm. Man, it'll it, it'll hit you. Like apparently, he suffered from depression for a long time. I'm sure. I'm sure. And, and it, to see that he basically used comedy as a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. and I don't. I, I just to me that that's what another testament to how great of an actor he was. Because what was going on in, inside of him he did not let it show at all. <laughs> like, right. Right. He was able to laugh with everyone and it was just, you got to give it to him. And, and the fact that he built an entire career on comedy and improv, but then he won his first Oscar with like a purely dramatic role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the dude had some chops for real. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think I read a story that, uh, is it Jonathan Houseman? It was one of the guys at Juilliard that told him, I basically told him, like, you need to drop out of Juilliard and go just do your stand-up comedy because it's so, it was, especially at that time, his style of stand-up comedy was rare. So he knew he was going to stand out, kind of set him on his, his trajectory. But he already had that training in theater, too. So when he moved to the dramatic stuff, he still had the chops to back it up, too. So For sure. All right, moving right along to Mr. Kurt Russell as Reno Hightower. Kurt spent the early 70s playing minor league baseball. In 79, he gave a classic performance as Elvis Presley. In John Carpenter's ABC TV movie Elvis, and married the actress who portrayed Priscilla Presley in the film Season Hubley. He was nominated for an Emmy Award for the role. He followed the roles in a string of well received films, including Used Cars in 80 and Silkwood in 1983, for which he was nominated for the Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actor. During the 80s, he starred in several films by director John Carpenter that created some of the best known roles, including the infamous anti hero Snake Plisson. Plix, ah, Snake Plissken in the futuristic action film Escape from New York in 81 and later in its sequel Escape from L.A. in 96. I uh, mentioned he was in The Thing as well as Big Trouble in Little China, all of which have since become cult classics. In 1983, he became reacquainted with Goldie Hawn, who appeared with him in the one and only genuine original family band in 1968 when they worked together on Swing Shift in 1984. The two have lived together ever since. They made another film together, Gary Marshall's comedy Overboard in 87. His other 80s titles include Tequila Sunrise in 88, and as we mentioned before, Tango and Cash, Cash and Tango in 1989. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So once again, I've said what I said about Kurt Russell. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> He's the best. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll go ahead and say this, too. I've got a, another episode coming up in October on Death Proof. Have you seen that one? I have. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's another good one. That's a different role for him too. Different role. Um, Very different. Very different. Uh, Yeah. It's going to be fun. That was Rodriguez. Tarantino. Tarantino directed that one, but it was him and him and Rodriguez were doing like, 
they were kind of going back and forth. They did a double feature. Um, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Rodriguez did Planet Terror and Tarantino right. did Death Proof. Death and Proof. it was for the Grindhouse uh, mm-hmm. presentation or whatever. Yeah, I still haven't seen Planet Terror, but. Yeah. I think I've seen both of them, but it's been, it's been a lot. Like I've watched them when they, like, I didn't see them in the theater, but like when they hit DVD, I think I watched both of them. So I think I like Death Proof better than Planet Terror, but. So then moving on uh, for the supporting cast, we got Pamela Reed as Gigi Hightower, Reno's wife. Reed began her on-screen acting career appearing as a cast regular on the CBS drama series The Andros Targets in 1977 and with minor roles in the films The Long Riders in 1980, as well as Melvin and Howard in 1980. Shortly after, New York Times awarded her positive reviews for her work in the poorly received yet entertaining film The Clan of the Cave Bear in 86. I remember seeing previews for that when I was a kid, but never seen it. Uh, later, Robert Altman awarded Reed with a role in his HBO political mockumentary miniseries Tanner 88. Her performance as T.J. Kavanaugh, a fictional presidential campaign manager, earned her an Ace Award for Actress in a Dramatic Series. It was in the box office smash Kindergarten Cop in 1990 that Reed received much deserved exposure with the comedic role of Phoebe, Arnold Schwarzenegger's hypoglycemic police partner. That's probably for sure her probably best known role. Uh, mm-hmm. In this movie, she plays Kurt Russell's wife, who is Robin Williams' friend. In the movie Cadillac Man, which came out in 1990, she played Robin Williams' ex-wife. So uh, I remember seeing Cadillac Man, too, in 1990. So mm-hmm. were you familiar with Pamela Reed before this? Yeah, my first movie I saw her in was, like m- like many people, Kindergarten Cop. Yeah, and that's, yeah. And, and I remember watching that movie a lot growing up. <laughs> um, yeah. But one that I watched for the first time recently, and I don't think you've done it yet, was mm-hmm. um, the the right stuff. I have not done that one yet. Yeah, Dude. on the list. <laughs> that movie's so good. Like, yeah, I just, yeah. Like, it's just yeah. I, I, and it's she didn't long have a huge too. Role, but yeah. she was huh? It's long too. It's like almost four hours long, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's uh, 193 minutes, so three hours and 13 minutes. But yeah, man, it just flies by to me. Oh yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It's it's a good one, especially uh, I, I, I love optimism <laughs> in movies. <laughs> so in any movie that's just, you know, gets me fired up like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. Just like the best of times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For sure. All right. Then we got Holly Palance. Palance. I'm always messed that up as Ellie Dundee, Robin, uh, Jack Dundee's wife. She is perhaps best known for her role as the nanny of Damien Thorne and Richard Donner's The Omen in 1976. Beginning in 1984, she also co-hosted the series Ripley's Believe It or Not with her father, Jack Palance, which I did not know that until doing this research. Mm -hmm. She was the daughter of Jack Palance. Uh, Mm -hmm. This was interesting. Palance played Lois Lane opposite Christopher Reeve in his screen test for the title role of Superman in 1978. The tests included mm-hmm. scenes from the balcony interview in Superman and the Niagara Falls hotel room scene from Superman 2, where Reed played Clark Kent. The footage was released to the public as an extra feature on a special edition DVD release of the film in the early 2000s. She married the director of this movie, Roger Spottiswood, on April 9, 1983. They had two children and divorced in 1997. After filming The Best of Time, she retired from acting. It was always a good sign for how well the movie did. Uh, she later <laughs> shifted to a career in journalism, serving as the editor-in-chief of the Los Angeles Times Lifestyle Magazine. So she was good in this. It's funny, like, now knowing that she was married to the director and she was Jack Palance's daughter, 
I kind of viewed her role a different, a little differently watching it this time, but she was really good in it. She was good as, uh, as Dundee's wife for sure. Yeah. She did a good job. I liked her. Uh, then the great Donald Moffat as the Colonel, uh having lost his british accent early on moffat excelled at slotting into diverse roles as totally believable americans be they dignified self-effacing doleful tough or acerbic this was very much in keeping with his working credo respect the text you fit the part not the other way around instantly recognizable in appearance lean long-faced and bushy-browed he was a subtle actor who made good use of a mellow but resonant voice which combined with a strong stage presence. On screen, Moffat began as a TV supporting player with numerous guest roles and hit TV shows, including Hawaii Five-0, Bonanza, Mission Impossible, Mannix, and The West Wing, playing an assortment of judges, doctors, reverends, politicians, and army officers, even a quirky android named Wren in the short-lived TV, I'm sorry, the short-lived CBS series, Logan's Run in 1977. Memorable roles include the shady president in Tom Clancy's Clear and Present Danger in 94, the ill-fated station commander Gary and John Carpenter's A Thing in 82, and Lyndon B. Johnson in, as JB just mentioned, The Right Stuff. So we had Pamela Reed and Donald Moffat in The Right Stuff, and then he was in The Thing with uh, Kurt Russell. So a lot of mm-hmm. uh, crossover actors here. Yeah, buddy. He retired from acting in 2005 and passed away in 2018 at the age of 87. Oh, he lived man. a long life. You got a favorite? performance of donald moffat i mean I, I of course i knew him from clear and present danger and this movie are probably the two that i most recognize him from yeah i really liked him in this movie um he, he just he just cracked me up his, mm-hmm. his character um and then I, I mean i also really i mean he did a good job as lyndon johnson and the right stuff too like he's just i can see that yeah he does old, yeah yeah he does those political and you know, like military roles really well, you know, even this was, was good for him. But like, I think I've seen him on some of the like, TV guest spots and stuff like that, where he's played those kind of uh, straight laced politician, you know, military roles. He played those really well. So moving right along, we got Margaret Witten as Darla effectively cast as sexy and strong supporting character in such movies as the prison drama love child in 82 Missed that one. Best of times here in 86, and especially her breakout role in The Secret of My Success in 87, which she nearly stole the movie from Michael J. Fox as his character's hard-as-nails aunt. She complimented this success with a hilarious role as scheming widow-come-baseball team owner Rachel Phelps in Major League in 89 and its sequel, and as the resilient mother to young Nick Stahl in Mel Gibson's directorial debut, The Man Without a Face, in 1993. I had no idea that she was in all those movies. Like, I know those characters but i did mm-hmm. not realize that she had played in this one uh secret of my success and major league are all three movies that i've seen you know a million times but uh so once again shows her range as an actress that i didn't realize it was the same woman or same actress in all those roles yeah i mean the major league movies come to mind i've never actually seen secret to my success <gasps> but shock heard around the world put it on your list put it on your list i do i do love michael j fox so yeah um, that's one that's a good one that's a fun one yeah one we haven't covered yet but it's it's definitely on the list yeah that's another great michael j fox movie from the 80s for sure unfortunately she died of cancer on december 4th 2016 at the age of 67 so i don't Mm. like mentioning deaths on the podcast but i feel like they need to be honored for the life that they lived so 
Yeah. M. Emmett Walsh as Charlie. We just talked about Walsh on the Wildcats episode. So go back and listen to that one. Uh, came out last week. M. Emmett Walsh, if you want, if for, for those who don't know, the M stands for Michael. So that's a little bonus, bonus trivia there for you for Mr. Emmett Walsh. But he's great. He's, I mean, he's been in so many different movies. I mean, he, he was great in this. The Leader of the Caribous, which I love the uh, caribou handshake with him and <laughs> Kurt Russell. Yeah, uh, that's great. Kurt Russell's sitting there going like, I'm an award-winning actor and I'm doing this crazy handshake in this movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. And then the next actor that you got on here is, yep. is one of my one of my favorites growing up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kirk Cameron as Teddy, the son of Hightower. Yes, Kirk Cameron, though his parents initially did not project show business aspirations onto their children, a family friend in the business noted to Barbara that both Kirk and his sister, Candace Cameron Bure, now were cute enough that they could easily pick up lucrative work in commercials. After Cameron began appearing in TV ads for Polaroid, McDonald's, and Count Chocula cereal, he found himself wound up in Hollywood's notorious child star mill, netting minor cute kid parts in a handful of TV movies, including a couple of Disney projects and two ABC after-school specials. In 1983, he landed a regular gig as a precocious kid in ABC's Two Marriages, a show that remained on the air less than a month. Ooh, rough start. He found a more winning formula in 1985 with Growing Pains, playing the oldest son of a family headed by a psychiatrist played by the late great Alan Thicke and journalist Joanna Kearns. One in a sequence of family network sitcoms characterized with with it parents and mischievous but squeaky clean kids. <laughs> Show me that smile again. Show me that smile. <laughs> yep. One of the greatest uh, TV theme songs for sure. Oh, man. Love it. Yep. On the heels of his sitcom success, he appeared in his very first feature film, this movie, The Best of Times. ABC would pump Cameron as its it boy and his trademark smirk in coming years would, would grace covers in a ton of teen magazines. Meanwhile, job offers cropped up to exploit his proverbial 15 minutes. He played the son slash father of Dudley Moore and Like Father, Like Son, another forgotten 80s flick in 1987, one of Hollywood's periodic flavor du jour retreads of the mystical parent-sibling body switch comedies. And he rated top billing in the movie called Listen to Me from 1989, an overwrought, widely panned college drama about debate team uh, arguing against Roe versus Wade, another movie that I remember seeing, another forgotten 80s flick. That's him and Jamie Gertz in that movie. So, hmm. uh that one will pop up on like one of those, not like Tubi, but if you have like a smart TV that has like the different channels or like on Pluto TV that have like the mm -hmm. 80s channel movie channels, that'll pop up on there every once in a while. Like I caught the last like 20 minutes of it one day. You can't catch it on demand, but it'll be playing like they'll just loop it or, you know, it'd be yeah. they'll loop like five movies for a couple of days and you just have to catch it at the right time. So. Nice. You know, back back when you used to have to watch movies in the old days, you just had to find the right time it came on TV. You, you couldn't just could just press a button like, "Ooh, I can watch this movie whenever I want." So, or or you could open up with these this little magazine, mm -hmm. yes, TV guide, TV guide. Yeah, <laughs> that was uh, a lot of listeners who didn't grow up in the eighties <laughs> know nothing about what we're talking about. Yeah. It's like, I'll walk by, I'll see like a TV, like the TV guide used to be like the size of a book and now they make it like a magazine. <laughs> and every time cute. I walk by a TV guide magazine in the store, I'm like, how are they still in business? Like who reads this anymore? <laughs> like who needs to know? But one of my favorite lines, we talked about it. We did the lost boys episode is, uh, you know, the grandpa on lost boys. They're like, they want to know if there's a TV in the house when they first moved there. 
and uh they're talking to the grandpa he's like get the mail but don't miss my tv guide uh you know don't peel the sticker off because it'll rip the, the cover he's like oh that means you got a tv guy means you got a tv he's like no i read the tv guide and we don't need a tv <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great man yeah yeah. Oh, uh, but I I do I do love me some Kirk Cameron and and Candace Cameron for that matter. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But I, I I grew up on Growing Pains mm-hmm. and and Full House. Uh, and then a movie that's very near and dear to my heart is mm-hmm. uh, uh, Fireproof. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it just it's it's cheesy. I get it. It's a Kendrick <laughs> Brothers movie. And mm-hmm. Most of them are cheesy, but as a as a husband, I I. I yeah, it yeah. hits me hard, man. It hits me hard. So I actually met him one time. He came oh, wow. and spoke at our, he came and spoke at our church a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just kind of shook his hand and he like signed something for me and we talked right. for a little bit and got right. a picture. But I don't know. He's he's he seems like a cool dude. Mm-hmm. I definitely grew up with him on uh, on Growing Pains. I watched you know the movies that he was in. Like I said, I've seen both the ones that we referenced already. The computer wore tennis shoes. Yeah, which is funny because that's a remake of a movie that Kurt Russell did originally in the '60s as a Disney that's movie. Right. So, so got the little connection there. So yeah, good old Kurt Cameron. All right, moving right along, we got Robin Lively as Jackie, who is the daughter of the Dundees, the Dundees' daughter. We just covered Robin. I mean, we, I mean, yeah, we just covered Robin and her family career in the Wildcats episode, but I thought that was funny because she's these both of these movies came out Wildcats and Best of Times both came out in 1986. So I think this one was her debut, but I think she filmed the other one first. So how they filmed it came out different anyway. And then speaking of growing pains, Tracy Gold played Jackie's friend, uncredited. She grew up basically on television. She made an auspicious television debut in the award-winning miniseries Roots. She also enjoyed seven years on the popular TV series Growing Pains. And then she moved back to drama movies for more than I mean, she moved back to drama in more than 20 movies for television after that. So, uh, but yeah, she's kind of a blink and you miss her. Like I remember seeing her like after watching it so many times, like, oh my gosh, I think that was Tracy Gold. Cause she's, I think she has one line in the whole movie and like, you only see her face for more than like two seconds in the last football game. One of the sequels where you see all the teenagers sitting together, but I didn't realize that she was in that. So yeah, <laughs> got wow. you with that one. So, mm-hmm. A few familiar faces. We got Dub Taylor as Mac. Uh, he was one of the, he was the second in the uh, caribou scene. Thank you for the second, second. Uh, <laughs> he's known for old Western roles. We talked about him on our Back to the Future Part 3 panel episode because he has a small role there. Kathleen Freeman as Rosie. Most memorable is Sister Mary Stigmata, the penguin in Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi's movie, The Blues Brothers in 1980. She was used as a comic fool for Jerry Lewis in many of his films, always to great advantage. She did much television work, playing in everything from The Dick Van Dyke Show to Gomer Pyle to Hogan's Heroes to Married with Children, where she was the voice of Peg's monstrous but never-seen mother, Al Bundy's nemesis. She was actually working on Broadway in a production of The Full Monty when she passed away of lung cancer in 2001. So uh, just one of those people that you recognize the face immediately she's like these are very small roles in the movie i just want to kind of throw them out there and then tony plana as chico on the team you may remember him as jefe and the three amigos which we discussed earlier this year and then i forgot he was in this until he popped up william g Schilling as his his role is actually caribou number one 
<laughs> but he's best known as the principal in the 80s TV show, Head of the Class. So uh, I guess it was before your time, wasn't it, JB? A little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> I did watch some uh, H- Hogan's Heroes growing up, but it was, you know, in syndication reruns. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And now these messages. <sighs> What seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, He's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Let's talk a little bit about favorite or iconic scenes. I can't really think of an iconic scene for this movie uh, besides the ending. Spoiler alert, Jack catches the ball at the end, if you didn't know that was going to happen. Any favorite scenes you want to talk about? I mean, really, my favorite scene, I just thought this was really cool, was the montage of them practicing football in the middle mm-hmm. of an oil field. <laughs> right, right. And, just like, and, and I, I remember just that shot of Kurt Russell taking a snap, dropping back to pass, and mm-hmm. this huge pump jack is behind him. <laughs> right, right, right. It's, it's hilarious. It's a, it's a great shot, too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's... Uh, I just I really enjoyed that, and then when he does the Jack Aquarius scene in the girls' oh, bathroom yeah. <laughs> and, and they start dancing, they finally get together. I just I like seeing them finally, you know, the the husbands and wives get together. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of cheesy, but it's it's still fun and cool to cool to see. And yeah, the the Jack Aquarius move that he ends up doing <laughs> in the football game. He does, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It does come in handy. Yeah, yeah just give him your best move. My right. best move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I can great. get open. Yeah. 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 But that bobbling the ball scene where he, he must have ran 10 yards bobbling that ball. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That scene, even watching it now, is like, how do you film that? You know, it's the director catching it and then the actor having to, I've got to bobble it. Cause it's, it's almost like all one shot. Like there's not a whole lot of cutting back and forth mm-hmm. or like just seeing his hands. Like it was a well done, you know, shot of him kind of bobbling the ball, then kind of pulling it to his body. Then it goes behind him. He's got to pull, you know, of course it's in slow motion. So it kind of drags it out a little bit, but uh, mm-hmm. really well done as far as that, that shot of him finally catching the ball. Uh, I would even say some of the football scenes are actually pretty good. You know, the, the whole rain being a, a big part at the end with uh kid Lester coming, coming back at the end, which I yeah. thought was cool. You know, it's like all those little, is those little bitty things in the movie that I think kind of give it a little bit of an edge as far as like kind of making it a better movie. Uh The whole kid Lester gets mentioned at the beginning and then he comes back to town for the big game and he comes with his umbrella and it's not raining and he wants it to rain. Of course it rains, which makes the field muddy, which is great for Taft because that's what they're used to playing on instead of, the nice AstroTurf kind of stuff that the uh, other team, the the Tigers were playing on. Uh, so, but just a lot of the, the football scenes were, were done really well. There's a lot of funny scenes, a lot of funny bits that are in the movie that I just enjoyed. And I, like I said, going back to a lot of it's the dialogue we talked about earlier, you know, how much of that was in Ron Shelton's script, how much it was it Robin Williams improvising and ad-libbing, which I know he did, did a lot of, but give props to Kurt Russell because he had the, be the straight man amidst a lot of that, you know, craziness that Robin Williams would do. He did have that one, that one joke. Um, what do you know about Beirut? Yeah. <laughs> Beirut, yeah. Beirut, the best dang baseball player they ever lived. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was good. That that, was that whole scene, that whole scene made me laugh. You know, and it's the, the thing. The, the yeah, the thing about this movie is especially now looking back and, and seeing it as a kid, I'm not going to pick up on all the tropes, the things that you've seen in every other kind of movie like this, but going back and watching it now there it's, it's loaded with those tropes. Like the, you know, we can have it all. We can have it all. Uh, you know, Reno is like, I don't want it all. I just want my wife back. You know, don't screw this up for me, Jack. <laughs> and of course, you know, Jack is going to push it to the next level. It's like, you know, and then I love that they're playing. It was the Falcons and, whoever was playing on Monday night football and like they're both losing teams. The game doesn't yeah. even matter, but Jack uh-huh. has to see, has to see the game. And it's like nice hands or no good hands. Which would you say? Oh, look at your cold hands. It's like, he's trying to play it off. You know, that the whole dinner scene is, is really funny. Uh, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. What are we talking about again? You know, they're trying to, let's talk about world events, but that's a, uh, what is it? That's a swamp. Yeah. I want to go by that. You know, just that whole, they don't know what to talk about because they're trying to, it's like the guys are trying to make amends. The women are trying to stay mad at them, but they all want to get back together anyway. Uh, just that whole that whole scene was really, really fun. Mm-hmm. A lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff in this one. And the dance scene, I, mean, I mentioned it earlier, but mm-hmm. that's where the the women started to see that what Jack was saying was going to happen actually happened. Like mm-hmm. the whole town, um, he did revive the town. Just mm-hmm. by putting this game on, and and they even mentioned it that the difference between tonight and tomorrow night is they actually have hope tonight. You know, they could right. get killed right. tomorrow, but right now mm-hmm. they're all full of life and full of hope. Right, and that's what right. the town needed. The town right. needed to just have something to look forward to again. 
Yep. Yeah. It was just that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> just thought of another Kurt Russell line where he said, "She's gonna leave me when I fix her car." Right. <laughs> he said, "Are you gonna, Are fix, you gonna it? fix it?" No, no I love her. Love her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. The chemistry between Robin Williams and Kurt Russell was fantastic. Mm-hmm. It was totally believable that they were friends in high school. Maybe not the best of friends. I would say they were the best of friends now. Like they were acquaintances. They played on the team. They had a relationship. There was a bond there, but it wasn't like super deep. So, you know, even with, you know, Jack coming to get his oil changed every week for his own reasons. But, and then, you know, of course, Reno knows, but he's not going to call him out on it. But, you know, they go make the joke at the end. It's like, I want to even dignify that with a response. And then he gets in the car, <laughs> the little, the the trash car that he drives or whatever. But what I thought was cool, and I don't know if this is true, it's a subtlety, but going back to your point about, you know, the the dance is a very pivotal scene. Reno has told Jack about, you know, it's like, you know, I want to hold on to the past. I don't want to blow it. And then he's there at the dance. The girls are all doing it and, and he kind of leaves. Reno leaves. And it's like, I was like, why is he leaving? And then it shows while Jack and his wife are dancing in the in the bathroom that he's actually fixing her car. He's fixing his wife's car and she comes and finds him. And it's like, he was like, you know what? I love you enough to let you go and figure out what, you know, figure out what you want to do with your life. But, to you know, sitting there in his tux, he's fixing her car, which I thought was like, that's a nice touch. Once again, it adds to the heart of the movie. That's a nice touch to put in mm-hmm. there that as a kid, I wouldn't have picked up on. But this time I was like, oh, you know, he's actually fixing her car because that's what mm-hmm. a good, that's what a good husband would do. He would fix the car. Even if he knows if I fix her car, she may leave me, but I'm going to, I'm going to be the good guy and fix it and trust that she'll see it as an act of love and not uh, anything else. Maybe we'd have talked, maybe we should have talked about this one, manly movies. <laughs> hey man, I'm, I'm definitely not because this has got some manly moments in it for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hit a couple of scenes and trivia. Maybe it'll make us think about some other scenes as well. I thought this was great. Robin Williams and Kurt Russell both played high school football before becoming actors. The two also performed all of their own stunts during the scenes of them playing football without any body doubles, which had to have been tough on Kurt Russell because he was getting hammered a couple of times, you know, mm-hmm. after throwing the ball and stuff. Uh, uh, Reno's football attire may be an homage to Joe Namath. Reno and Joe both wore number 12 and wore white shoes, which the white shoes moment is kind of cool, but the ground is so muddy. It's like he gets halfway to the sideline. You can't even tell they're white anymore because it's all just mud. It's all over the shoes. But it was a cool little little moment. He's wearing the well, white cool. shoes. Yeah, that's 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 what's cool about it is how the team gets behind him when he's when they see that the white shoes are coming in. And you see mm-hmm. him run out there and join the other guys, and they're all behind him. And like that's that's what makes that moment iconic. Yeah, the shoes you can't, they're not white anymore. But <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah. So. It was an interesting kind of plot twist there, though, for Jack to somewhat confess that he was the one that kind of started the whole thing with the tiger suit. And then Reno to realize, you know, he's been letting everybody slide because he really did like he didn't really want to win. Like he wanted to compete, but he wasn't sure if he really wanted to win. And now it's like, look, we're going to we can do this, but I've got to be kind of the jerk that I was in high school that really, you know, whipped the team into shape. That was an interesting twist there at the end. Herman Edwards, who was an extra in the film, is a former NFL head coach, as well as a former defensive back. Edwards is famous for scoring the touchdown against the New York Giants in what is famously called the Miracle of the Meadowlands. 
I knew that he was a coach. I remember I remember him as a coach. I just didn't know that. All right, well, let's start to wrap this one up. We'll talk about box office and critical reception. Best of Times was released in theaters on January 31st, 1986. It debuted in number seven at the box office that weekend. It was beat out by other new releases, Young Blood, and at number four, and Down and Out in Beverly Hills, which claimed the number one spot that week. You know, January is not always the best time for for movies to get released so it's not the best of times it's not the best of times <laughs> and you know that's another thing about i think what kind of hurt this movie was the title because if i would have just saw the title the best of times i wouldn't have thought of that as being a football movie at all i think that might have might have hurt a little bit uh rotten tomatoes has it at 31 percent on the tomato meter with a 42 percent audience score six out of 10 with the viewers on IMDb with a 57 on Metacritic, which is amazing. The 57 on Metacritic is higher than 31% on tomato meter, which is very odd. Yeah. Usually Metacritic is really, really bad, but I don't think it's that bad. It's one of my favorite football movies, even if it's not a perfect movie. Yeah. I mean, I think it should be in, I mean, I think the six 57 on Metacritic and, and the six out of 10 is, is probably a fair assessment. I would probably rate it a little higher personally because I just, yeah. I really really enjoy it, but I think I think IMDb is pretty fair on that. I think. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I definitely is all over the place. Yeah, I definitely would bump it up. And for me, it's all about rewatchability, and because I've seen this one so many times, and it's still enjoyable to go back and watch. There's still fun scenes. It's still inspiring at the end, and even though you know what's going to happen, it's still what I think kind of sets this one apart a little bit just because we just did Wildcats and then doing this one, there's a lot of similarities between the two in some aspects, not co- totally, but for the underdog to win the game mm-hmm. and Wildcats, it's a little more, it's a little far fetched. Whereas this one seems a little bit yet yeah, still convenient that he brings them back. They need the touchdown to win. He's the only one open to get the ball at the end, but it's still a little bit more believable I think of a situation than than what we saw when the game in Wildcat. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that's unbelievable about it is him coming back as quarterback all of a sudden makes their defense better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't see the defense really making too many too many good good stops or good plays, but uh, yeah, and I don't understand how Bakersfield got to twenty six. So it was twenty one to twenty six. Like, did they miss a field goal or was it? Uh, yeah, I, I missed, you know, I got, would have had to miss two field goals. Right. I got lost yeah. in the scoring somewhere along the, along the way, but, or, but anyway, it's still fun. It's a fun movie. Yeah. All right. Any other sure. scenes or anything else you want to mention about the movie before we say goodbye to everybody? I can't think of any right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. For me, it's just quotes. <laughs> I'm looking, I'm looking back to things that I wrote down. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That one scene, um, <laughs> And this going back to the camaraderie between Robin Williams and, and Kurt Russell, like, and this is like at the very beginning, whenever he goes to the garage and whenever he's going to borrow that car from mm-hmm. Kurt Russell and he starts to toss in the keys. Yes. Yes. And then he stops. He's like, and then he walks over there and hands mm-hmm. them to him. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, like, it just, it just, it, it helps to, it helps to like solidify that theme throughout, you know, and then, you know, uh, the Colonel, when he's leaving the office and he takes his hat off and kind of fumbles the, the hat 
to make fun of Jack is just, you know, they're, they're laying it on pretty thick at the beginning, but, uh, uh-huh. or when Jack says, sounds to me like you're scared. He's like, yeah, that you'll drop the ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I love the line. I love, that. I love the line. Jack says, Reno says he was like, Jack, half of this, half the crowd up there came to watch you drop, catch the ball. The other half came to watch you drop it. And I was like, that is so true. You know, people, <laughs> we have a crowd out there for two reasons. The ones that want to see you catch it and those who want to see you drop it. So, you know, it's like, it's up to you whether who's going to be happy, <laughs> you know, after that's done. So, and then, you know, the, the, the quick turnaround of the Colonel at the end after he's like, we're going to play this game next year and there's on AstroTurf. And then he falls in the puddle of mud. And then somebody goes by and says, you know, how did that guy ever catch the ball? That guy, he's my son-in-law. It's like, well, that was a quick turnaround. <laughs> about, yeah now you're proud yeah. of him but that's cool though too like because even of course i don't have a son-in-law and mm-hmm. I, I hope i don't for many 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 years <laughs> right me um but um but as far as your kids go it's really easy like you can you can be really mad at them and like have this kind of rivalry uh about them but then when someone says a cross word about them you don't mm-hmm. stand up for them and right. i feel like it's probably the same way with your in-laws too because i mean they're married to your kids and mm-hmm. so like they're part of your kids so yeah i, I get it um but it, it was cool to see that too just that that's my son-in-law <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much, JB, for joining the episode. Another fun one, uh, this forgotten 80s flick that we uh, will never forget because it's one that we enjoyed. Thanks for joining in. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Yes, sir. All right, well, everybody, we're going to wrap this one up. Don't forget to continue to follow us on social, find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Uh, Still going strong with the forgotten 80s flick uh, series on TikTok and Instagram, I think. I'm in the hundred, I'm close to 120 now, uh, movies that I've posted already. So, uh, and there's still a lot more, to, a lot more to go, but it's been fun. It's been fun. So, uh, but be sure to share this episode with, uh, someone else that loves eighties movies. If you enjoyed it or new, any of our other episodes, you know, share with other people that know about it, let them know about us. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcasting platform is. You can support the podcast. You can find out how to do that in show notes. Check out my Amazon wish list if you want to buy me a Blu-ray. And go listen to the movie songs mix on Apple Music. I haven't got it on Spotify yet, but we'll get there. That's it for us. Thanks again for listening. Thanks so much, JB, for being here. Good night, good people. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.